Rivers Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. We are in our series on Hebrews, and it is Hebrews, Jesus, the perfect priest, the superior sacrifice. Now, we're just continuing on with this letter that uh, was written to Hebrew believers. But before we get there, we are in chapter 5. So if you want to find a Bible or turn on your device or get a flashlight, whatever, I'll have all the text up here later. But uh, that's where we're going to be, Hebrews chapter 5, the first 10 verses. But before we get there, I'm going to... Uh, no, I'll, I'll wait before we put the slide up. First of all, name me a TV doctor. I'm going to be old old-timer and name... Uh, ben Casey or Dr. Kildare. I knew somebody would come up with Marcus Welby, MD. Now, yeah, all you modern guys, I wouldn't know any of the scrubs and all those shows. And so you name, those, you, name, you name those doctors, and here's the deal about them. None of them are doctors. They're all actors. And most of the war heroes that you think of uh, in film like John Wayne, listen up and listen tight, Pilgrim. You know, all those guys, they play war heroes. Uh, Gary Cooper, if you saw Sergeant York, they're not war heroes. But this guy up here was both an actor and a war hero. Now, hopefully you youngsters know who this is. Do you know who this is? If you don't, I'm going to tell you. It's Jimmy Stewart. Okay, This is Jimmy Stewart. Now, he was an actor before he was a war hero. And uh, he had already won an Oscar and everything, um, but the war broke out, and he joined up. His, the head of the studio at that time, they're all under contract in those days, was furious. He said, you'll never work in this town again. But he just, you know, flaunted him and said, you know, I'm going. And Jimmy had a couple of advantages. He was a Princeton graduate, and also he was, already had his pilot's license. Well, Jimmy became uh, a B-24 bomber pilot. And he was not just playing a war hero, he was actually one. And the reason I showed this picture here is, on the left is 1942 when he first started his first, he, he flew scores of very dangerous missions where the cockpit was shot out from underneath them and everything. 1942 on the left, two years later, 1944 is what he looked like. So you can imagine the trauma of those war years. And Stuart went on to act and be in film after that. And also, he went on, uh, he started as a second lieutenant, college graduate and all that stuff. He's a major there. He ended the war as a colonel. And he actually retired from the reserve. He stayed in the reserve as a two-star general. So there's a man that plays a war hero and who is a war hero. So when we think about that, I think of, if you get to my title slide, Hit that one up there. We think about Jesus. He's the perfect priest because, as you will see, he's the priest who did it all. He was a priest. Well, the difference is to come. So let's pray, and then we'll get to our verses, and we'll get into our text, okay? Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together and uh, study what you've given us in the Bible. 
We ask that uh, you would help me today as I collect my thoughts. I pray my thoughts would reflect you and honor you, that you would let me get out of the way as we look at this important letter that you've left for the church of today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okie doke. So let's get to our texts first, if you would. I will read and you can follow. And you can follow in your translation if you have something different. I might just wait. That was a quick one. So let's look at the verses. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices on behalf of sins, being able to deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also subject to weakness. And on account of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins just as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor with reference to himself, but being called by God takes it, even as Aaron was. In the same way, also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but he who said it to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh having offered up both prayers and pleas to the one able to save him out of death with loud crying and tears, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. All right. So let's go back to these verses here. Go back to the first section. Every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men, things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices on behalf of sins. Now, I want to make a distinction right away at the very first verse when you think of priests, and you see it here mentioned high priest. Now, there's a number of priests everywhere mentioned in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Some are named Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, He's a priest, but this is a high priest. And if you remember your studies from maybe our morning class or whatever, the high priest was that one person who once a year could enter into the Holy of Holies, that very special holy place, first in the tabernacle and then later in the temple after it was built by Solomon. The Holy of Holies, where God himself, the Shekinah glory, would come down. There's only one person that could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, to offer sacrifice for sin. Sacrifice for sin, which covered up sin. All right? Now, um, you've also learned from our morning class, as Randy has pointed out, those Old Testament sacrifices did not take away sin. They simply covered it. The fancy word is propitiation. They simply covered that sin over, like with a blanket. For those of you that remember Chernobyl, I think it was, what, 1986 or 84? When was it? Remember, you know, we didn't, you know, the Soviets were starting to blow up the world. The, the nuclear power plant went all nuts. What they did was they took helicopters after helicopter after helicopter with concrete and simply dumped it on there. And many of the pilots who flew those missions are now dead. They died soon after of radiation poisoning. And they just dumped tons and tons of concrete in Chernobyl on that 
plant, that nuclear power plant. And there it remains to this day. And it's going to be there for thousands of years. Who knows? It's not been removed. It's not been taken away. It's not been cleansed. It's simply covered. That's what those Old Testament sacrifices did for sin. I'm going to get to Jesus in a minute. His sacrifice is much, much different. But at any rate, going on from here, it says every high priest is taken from men, and he offers both gifts and sacrifices. You have those guilt offerings for, sac and for sin, and you have gifts, which we do today, a special gift for thanksgiving or gratitude or that sort of thing. On behalf of sins, and this high priest is able to deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, and this two issues in life that kind of express just about everything. Ignorant and misguided. You either don't know something or you know it and it's wrong. And that's kind of like life itself. But that's what the priests were dealing with. Dealing with the ignorant and the misguided since he himself is also subject to weakness. This high priest is a human. He's just a man. And then you hear some of them named very important names, Aaron, and then Eliezer after him, and then Phineas after him. And in the New Testament, eh, not so cool. You know, you've got guys like Caiaphas and Annas. So anyway, these high priests. But they're just men able to deal with the ignorant and misguided since they themselves, he himself, is also subject to weakness. All of these priests had the same problem that you and I have. They had sin. Subject, I translated it that, subject to weakness, it's kind of weak. Actually, it means they were beset with weaknesses. They were beset with sin. They were around. It's, the same word is used in Hebrews 12, verse 1, we will see. When, um, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, surrounded. One, one text has it, you're chained. We're chained up with this sin. And on from there account of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins just for the people, so also for himself. So, uh, where's my main slide? Put my main slide up for me here. Here's the difference, and I'm going to say this early in the message, and I'm going to say it at the very end of the message in case anybody's going to miss it, because this is what we are all about. Jesus is not simply a high priest. He's not an actor playing a war hero. He's not an actor playing a doctor. He is the high priest who can save. This is your main point. If you take nothing home from today other than this, take this home. Amen. He is the high priest who saves because he gave his life as sacrifice for our sins, not to cover them, but to remove them, to forgive them, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to clean us. And we will learn more about that in Hebrews chapter 10. Every priest offers daily sacrifices which can never take away sin, but Christ having offered sacrifice one time for all, once for all, has sat down at the hand of the Most High in heaven. That's what it's all about. And friend, visiting, whatever, if you have not understood that, please understand that today. And if you have not placed your faith in Jesus as personal Savior to receive that forgiveness of sins, do that. I urge you to do that today. So anyway, um, moving on from there, let's go to our sub-point one, because this kind of fits into. Got that there somewhere? Jesus was the only high priest that did not need a sacrifice. That's your first little sub-point. I had like 30 sub-points, and I kind of, you know, not used to 
put them together, so I decided, well, I've got to cut some of them off. So, <laughs> like the old cartoon that says, I have 20 commandments for you. <laughs> oh, 10 commandments. Anyway, so <laughs> Jesus is the only high priest that does not need a sacrifice. This makes him the perfect priest. So go back to that verse section, if you would. And no one takes the honor with reference to himself, but being called by God takes it, even as Aaron was. And that's something important. I didn't realize this was going to happen today, but I think it is something important that we've seen today when the elder is appointed by the church. Too many times in our culture, I think to great disasters, we've seen men who decide they want to be pastors, they want to be elders. And so they set up some big ministry and raise money for a private jet airplane and all those sort of things. You know, it's quite an honor, and it's actually God that does the calling. As the Holy Spirit works in someone's heart and they grow closer to him, that God would call them to that office. And we thank God that he's called Israel to that office. So anyway, no one takes this honor. But being called by God, he takes it even as Aaron was. So let's go to the second section of verses here. In the same way, also... Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says in a, also in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now just a little hint. If you see these, oh, they're not capital there. Pity. Got to discipline the slide maker. In some of your Bibles, when you see all capitals in the New Testament... That's a clue for you guys trying to study the Bible in a more effective way. Uh, that, that's a quote, a quotation from an Old Testament book or passage. Okay? So what we have here are two important quotes. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And then later on this quote, you are a priest forever. Uh, okay, where do they come from? These are from Psalms. The first one is Psalm 2, uh, the seventh verse. And the second one, uh, that comment about the order of Melchizedek, that is from the very important psalm written by David, Psalm 110. Now, these are psalms. Psalm is a song. That's what we would sing instead of uh, red letters and those things. We would sing that in, in temple and tabernacle worship. Those are songs. But these are also known as... And what I'm saying is they meant something to the people of the day in their worship of God. But they are also messianic psalms. What does that mean? Well, that's because they pointed to the future Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Messiah, Hebrew, Christ, Greek, both meaning anointed one, who would come and provide salvation to all mankind. These are messianic psalms, and so that's why it's important when the author of Hebrews points to these. So the first one, I always relate to back to remember Jesus, 30 years growing up and so forth, and then he's baptized by John the Baptist. And what happens in those? He goes to be baptized. And he's this perfect man, perfect God that doesn't need anything from humans, but he goes to fulfill this. And what happens? He gets baptized by John. And the Holy Spirit comes down upon him like a dove and this booming voice from heaven. This is my son, you know, in whom I am well pleased. You'll see that in uh, Matthew uh, 3 and you see it in Luke chapter 4. You see it referenced in, in um, Mark. 
And so oh, this is really cool, I think, because what you have here, what do you have? You have God, the Son, God himself being baptized, the one who's going to bring salvation to us, and the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, and then the Father himself saying, you are my son. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Now, this other part, just as he says in another place, another verse, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So what is this all about? Well, what's really cool about being a guest preacher is I can let somebody else explain this in the future weeks. Because this is an important topic for the writer of Hebrews. This verse is quoted word for word, verbatim, in Hebrews 7. It's also quoted almost word for word in Hebrews chapter 6. This priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. We first find Melchizedek in all the way back in the book of Genesis. Mel, Melek, and Zedek, king of righteousness. Who is this person? What's it all about? Genesis 14. Uh, well, I'm going to let someone else tell you about that. All I have to say, it is very important. And it also shows you why Jesus is the perfect high priest. Why? Because you look at priesthoods. And the first one was the Aaronic priesthood. Moses' brother, Aaron, and the priest that got started under him. Then later, the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, was given the priesthood ministry, so we called Levitical priesthood throughout the Old Testament, those priests. The priesthood of Melchizedek was superior to all those things, higher than all those things. Jesus was of that order. And the rest, I'll just let somebody else talk about. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, Moving on to the third verse uh, section, if you would, please. Oh, yeah, let's go back in so I can read verse 7. I don't know why that got split. Okay, that should be the other one. Anyway, so we have to move on from there. Uh, this is Jesus, the perfect high priest, who in the days of his flesh, having offered up both prayers and pleas to the one who was able to save him out of death with loud crying and tears. And let me stop right there and say... Jesus, in the days of his flesh, while he was here on earth, offered up prayers and pleas. Let's look at the first, uh, the second subpoint. You got that somewhere? Jesus is a high priest who pleads. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, the, the phrase here, prayers and pleas. You could translate it prayers and requests. Prayers or petitions, and uh, the Greek word diesis, and please, a little bit more unusual word you don't see very often. He pled with God the Father. What's that all about? Well, you'll read in other passages of the New Testament in John, uh, first John, John's first letter, John two two. He is our he is our advocate. He is our intercessor, and he pleads with God for us. Have you ever felt that burden to plead? to plead with God. Jesus is someone that did. Have, some, have you ever pled with the Lord for somebody, just gone on your knees and cried out to God that he would do this? Most of us do this in a somewhat selfish context often because our mortgage is due and we're going to lose our house or something of that nature. Or we do it for our own personal healing or something. But just think of those that are perishing without hearing of the good news the euangelion, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God loved them and sent Jesus to die for them and to plead with the Lord that they would be saved. And Jesus stands before the throne 
uh, pleading for us on our behalf as our intercessor, as our go-between, as Satan would daily stand there and accuse the brethren. Now, I'm not going to get into how that works out. Somebody else can preach that, or I'll come back. But anyway, the Lord, and so that's, that's our Savior. He's a high priest who sits there and pleads for us. Now, um, let's go back to that other section of verse, uh, that verse 7, please, if you would. Yeah, okay. Uh, having offered up prayers and pleas to the one able to save him out of death with loud crying and tears. Might as well throw up subpoint, uh, my next subpoint number three up there. Jesus is a high priest who's moved by emotion. Now, why did I throw that in here? Well, you can see it right here. It says Jesus was loud crying, not just crying, loud crying. You know, like your kids when they're hungry. And uh, tears. Um, here's the thing about emotion. I think sometimes it's usually an extreme. People get overblown with their emotions. And they're driving down Daniels, and you know someone cuts them off, and so they road rage. They cut them off and put a couple bullets into their car. You know, it's emotions kind of stuff, or sports. You know, we get all emotional. But then the other uh, excess on this end is we then we think, well, emotion is all wrong. It's bad and wrong, so we suppress it. We suppress everything. Well, I think it is important to remember that Jesus here on earth, even God the Father, you'll see emotion expressed in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. But Jesus here on earth expressed emotion. Many times uh, the gospels say he was filled with compassion. Does that have any impact on you? Filled with compassion. And the text in Greek, and I believe Hebrew is the same way, it's, it's his innards, his innards were cranked up. You know, my, my dad would say, don't get excited at this. My father would say, don't get your bowels in an uproar. Well, I don't know if that's an Indiana expression or something. <laughs> you know, well, it's kind of that way when you're emotional. Jesus, you would be filled with emotions. And Jesus had those emotions. And most of us who are, maybe you're new to the faith uh, and haven't studied your scripture much or whatever, but most everybody in the world has memorized the shortest verse in the Bible. What is it? Jesus wept. That's true. It's actually two Greek letters longer than another verse, but I can show you that later. But Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He wept because Lazarus had passed away his good friend, brother of Mary and Martha. Now, he was going to deliver Lazarus, but he showed his emotion. Do we have that same kind of experience with balance with, with the folks to whom we minister? But what I wanted to say is Jesus is not just uh, a distant, unfeeling, uncaring high priest, but a priest who cares for you, casting your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5. Okay. Uh, so moving on from there, the one able to save him out of death. Some people will say, I'm trying to solve issues for you just so you'll have them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like that wasn't the one able to save him out of death. Well, that, that phrase is kind of just more of a description phrase. Jesus being delivered from death, that was a done deal. That was a fait accompli. When the plan of salvation was set forth, the Lord, God in heaven and the son knew exactly what had to happen. Jesus had to die to pay for sin. 
and he would be raised. Now we often talk about Jesus rose from the dead. Up from the grave he arose. He rose from the dead. But it's also true, you'll see throughout scripture, especially the book of Acts, God raised him. It says in Acts chapter 2, and God raised him. This Jesus who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. God raised him. So it's just kind of a description. The, he prayed to who? God, the one able to save him. And he was heard because of his piety. Okay, we've got to get rolling here. Uh, verse 8, 9, and 10. Ready? Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, in getting your mind around God in flesh, learning things, well, that's another long, long subject. You think, oh, how can he? Well, remember, he was fully God, fully man. One person put it this way. Jesus was 200%. He was 100% man, human, and 100% divine, God. And that's what he was. And he learned. Now, I think there's something cool about this word that's used for learned. We think of learn in sometimes this context. We go to school, and we get a book, or we read it. But this word, manthano, usually means to find out or discover, okay? Learn from experience, discover. Okay. Columbus, he discovered the new world. Now, I know that's not popular today to say, but at least he did for the Europeans. He, it was there all day long, but he discovered it, uh, you know, of the famous um, David Livingston, you know, and, who was the guy that discovered him? They discovered Victoria Falls. It was the, they discovered. That's what happened with Jesus in his life. He found out. He discovered these things. From the experience that he had as, as a human, he learned. He learned these things. He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Verse 9, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Another issue I'll solve for you quick. Having been made perfect? Wasn't he perfect to begin with? Yes. That's the whole beauty of the gospel. He was perfect. He was a perfect God and man, and he could give his life as a sacrifice for us. What do you mean? Well, it says he became perfect. Well, again, that word is, is key. It's the word teleo. And that word often means, or usually means, to be made perfect is to be made complete. Sometimes it's translated mature. The very final word that Jesus spoke on the cross, he said, it has been finished to tell us That's that same word. It's been, it's been finished. It's accomplished. He's complete. And that's what our Savior Jesus is. So we say he's a perfect high priest. He's a complete. He's the whole package. All righty? Okay. So put up some point four. Then we'll go. That last part of that verse. He's become to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God a high priest according to Melchizedek. What is it? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. And there's another issue to solve. Obey, obey. Well, again, the key is in the word. What do you mean? Those who obey him. There's a word, akuo, meaning to hear, and there's a word, hupo akuo, meaning to hear under. All righty? To often means to answer the door. And that's the word that's there. When we hear the gospel, 
and we receive Jesus as Savior, we, we answer that door. It's, it's translated, we respond to, respond to it, we accept it, we adhere to it, we hear, we obey. That's because the only thing necessary, and I'm going to repeat it again, for you to do, the only thing you can do, the only thing I can do is to receive Jesus, to trust in him and his death as accomplished on the cross, that he's paid for all of our sins. That is our, quote, obedience. We've answered that door to the gospel. And we go back to our main point, if we would. Our main point. Jesus is different than any other high priest because he's a high priest who can save. So while Joe comes up, I'll just give a few comments. Pray, and it will be dismissed. Started with this, I'm going to finish with it. Because I think that's what's more, there's, there's just nothing, there's nothing else that matters if you don't have this down, or if I don't have this down. What is your relationship with God? How do you stand before God today? Know that God loves you, but you're separated from him by the things you've done wrong, or by the things you've thought wrong, or the things that you are. The Bible calls sin. But he's made a way back to God through this darkness of sin, he's made, that's from him. And he's done that through the death of Jesus. So if you have not made that decision to place your faith, how do you do that? You You answer that door. You obey, as it were. You understand, you respond to it, you accept it. You receive Jesus as your personal savior, the best you know how. And you're born into God's family. You have a home forever with God in heaven. So I'd like to give you that invitation. I'm not going to have you come forward or anything, but just that invitation in your own heart and mind, your own self, to think about Jesus, his claims on your life, and what you're going to do with him. And believers, let's be faithful in sharing this message with everybody that we know. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Thank you for this opportunity to, to uh, minister your word. And I ask that it would be a blessing to others. I ask that you would uh, help us to share this faith this coming week, we pray. Now dismiss us in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.